Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to another edition of Food of the Smoke, Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Urrutia. We're here with a midweek off-season pod, and we thought it'd be a good time to provide some backstories as to how Miami's top five 2024 recruiting class came together. So... Gabby's been kind of compiling his thoughts. Uh, I think he maybe even keeps a list, uh, a live list during the season on some interesting notes that happen in real time during the cycle. But anyways, we're going to go position by position and kind of review how this class came together. Again, top five class, best class Miami has signed in the 24-7 sports era, which dates back to the 2011 cycle. And, you know, this is recruiting classes, putting them together. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. There's a lot of twists and turns during the course of, I don't know, for a lot of these guys, 18 months to two years. But we'll keep the focus on probably the, the 12 months leading up to the early signing period. And uh, and so let's get into it, Gabby, and let's start with the quarterback position. Uh, Miami, of course, signed Judd Anderson out of the state of Georgia. Um, but let's review kind of how Miami got to that point of Judd being their guy. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think obviously, you know, when Miami was kind of when Miami began going through the quarterback evaluation process, I think. Really, the first major name that kind of emerged on the radar was Aaron Nolan, right? The the lefty quarterback out of Langston Hughes. Miami had just signed Josh Horton out of Langston Hughes. So, you know, they had already done a good job of kind of getting infiltrating that top Georgia program. Uh, you know, who was I, I think they had just Aaron Nolan had won a state title his junior year. He was, you know, continuing to kind of rise and rise and rise amongst the the quarterback. And I think, you know, to Miami's credit, I think Miami got Miami hosted Aaron Nolan during his junior year um, unofficially. Like he was a, a kind of not, I wouldn't say a no name, but like, you know, a name that's easy to gloss over on a much larger group of, you know, during that 2023 recruiting cycle. So Miami had done their homework on Aaron Nolan early. I think they did a really good job of just establishing a base and a foundation there. I think it was a really good just eval by that staff getting in on that early. And uh, I think just at the end of the day, when it kind of came to it, right, he made a, you know, kind of a spring decision. And, you know, it, it really, it seemed like Ohio State was always kind of lingering in the mix. I remember talking to him during a seven-on-seven tournament in Fort Lauderdale when he was playing with South Florida Express, and he was talking about wanting to go see Ohio State. And if he visited, basically he knew he was going to get the offer. That's exactly what happened. And I do think at that point, like, my, the writing was sort of on the wall that once he got that Ohio State offer, he was probably most likely headed to Columbus and that, that ended up being exactly what happened. And then as he was kind of going through his decision-making process uh, it was, I think it was those commitments were like 12 hours apart, right? At that point, 
I think we had teased. I think we were the first ones to actually kind of mention his name. Uh, obviously, Miami had offered Judd Anderson, but we kind of got word that Judd Anderson was really a quarterback that they were liking. And, um, you know, it seemed like right before Aaron Nolan announced, they went ahead like, I don't know, 12 hours before and just moved forward with Judd Anderson. Yeah. yeah, it was the day before that they moved forward with Judd Anderson. And uh, Judd Anderson's another just interesting eval just because of what he kind of came from, kind of played in like a wing T sort of offense, basketball guy long. Uh, they definitely took a shot at a player who hasn't played a ton of like traditional modern offense. And I think they feel like that paid off. Um, but, you know, just even from that point, right, of taking Judd uh, and and moving forward with Judd Anderson, I think that there were other names that kind of popped onto the the radar at various times. I think one that I think was maybe just very minimally reported on, if at all, um, was Dante Reno. Uh, he's actually Nino Francovia's quarterback at the Cheshire Academy. Uh, he's really good friends with Jackson Carver. He played at that Loomis Chaffee school with Jackson Carver. So those two were really cool. And I know that there was some re- very real dialogue between Miami and Dante Reno. And talking to Dante Reno at the Under Armour All-American game, uh, he said that even into like October, he said it was like maybe like six weeks before signing day where everything kind of officially fell off. Um, but I think throughout the process, David, right? Like we were kind of, I think Miami was constantly exploring what a two quarterback class would look like. I think at one point, Colin Hurley, the LSU signee out of Jacksonville Trinity Christian, it felt like kind of like a blip, but there was a moment where Miami was kind of considering going that route. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that obviously did not happen. But I think that there was a time where there was maybe some dialogue and maybe there was just some uncertainty about what LSU was going to do in Collins. So I feel like the two parties kind of reconnected, um, but that didn't necessarily work out. And I think it's important to kind of get into the Cedric Bailey situation, right? At the end of the cycle, when Miami kind of extended that late offer to Cedric Bailey. And, you know, I think at the time they were suggesting it wasn't because of Jeremiah Smith uh, that they that they made that late offer. And the rationale was we wouldn't have extended that offer late. We wouldn't have extended an offer like at this point if it was for Jeremiah. We just would have offered him way before. And I think to an extent that is maybe partially true. But at, at the end of the day, I think they would have probably they would have taken Cedric Bailey in. Um, but I, but I just think it was too late in the process. And I think for him, it was just about um, going. He, he just was just going to follow through Humphrey. with NC State. Yeah. And even add talk again, talking to him at the Under Armour game, he said at one point it was 50-50. Like he did really strongly consider going to Miami, um, but it just didn't work out that way. So Miami rolled with rolling with Judd Anderson. And uh, look, I mean, I think he had a good senior year and I think Miami's excited about what they're getting in him and, and the tools that he has to develop. You've seen all these guys in person now. I think it's fair to say like, I don't know. To me, Air Nolan's like on a different level, and that's how Miami viewed him as well, I think. Um, look, Miami took Judd Anderson's commitment the day before Air Nolan as a statement, but Air Nolan was the guy. That was the guy they wanted. For sure. Um, how would you say Judd compares to Dante Reno, who signed with South Carolina, Colin Hurley signed with LSU, and Cedric Bailey signed with NC State? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, if you're just talking about tools, right? Like I watched Dante Reno at the Under Armour All-American game. I mean, wasn't particularly blown away by Dante Reno. So honestly, I, I'm kind of glad that they kind of maintained the Judd route or just just because I, I, I personally just look at Judd and I look at Dante Reno. I do feel like Judd Anderson's a better prospect just because of what he has. And I think just again, how kind of early he is into his development. Dante Reno's dad is Yale head coach, Tony Reno. So Dante Reno's kind of been around quarterbacking and all that stuff his entire life. And I feel like Judd just kind of being where he's at and considering the, the you know, the length, everything that he kind of has to go, the athleticism, I, I like Judd there. Um, Colin Hurley, I mean, I'll take, I like Judd Anderson more than Colin Hurley. Maybe that's more debatable, but I just feel like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think Colin Hurley's a good player, and he obviously did a lot of good stuff at at Trinity Catholic or Trinity Christian, whichever school he is at, he's at up there. But I, I do personally think that um, Judd Anderson is maybe just a better fit for Miami than maybe Colin Hurley was. And Cedric Bailey's another one that it's kind of – I feel like they're similar in a lot of ways because I think they're both still developing passers. Um, I think Judd Anderson has more mass at this point than Cedric Bailey has. Cedric Bailey's mm-hmm. kind of thin and narrow. Um, I like that Judd Anderson has a basketball background, uh, that he's done a little bit more of that type of stuff. 
Uh, Cedric Bailey, of course, has played with a very strong supporting cast, right? With with Jeremiah Smith, who just who decided Trader. He has a great running back and and Davion Goss, who's headed to North Carolina. He's had power five offensive linemen blocking for him. Uh, always a really good defense. So I feel like Cedric Bailey has definitely had a lot more to work with compared to a guy like Judd Anderson. I mean, of that group, truthfully, like just just kind of wrapping it all up, I, I do think that Judd Anderson has as outside of Aaron Noland. I think uh, Judd Anderson has as much promise as any of those guys. Like I, I would, I'm, I'm thankful that Judd Anderson is maybe the one of that group of four that we've kind of highlighted outside of that, that Miami ended up with. I yeah, don't know if you I agree, think, David. Yeah. I mean, look, I think if you're going to take a developmental guy, which is fine. And Judd Anderson is a developmental guy. You want them to have physical traits to develop Judd Anderson has that. He is six foot six. He is 220. So he has potential physically. Now he has to put it all together, and that might take some time. Uh, but I would much rather have that type of quarterback than a more of a polished six foot, six foot one type of quarterback that might be further along as a senior in high school, but the rest of the trajectory. Uh, in terms of potential and ceiling is limited. So I like the vision with Judd. Um, you just got to put in the the time and the effort to develop guys like that. All right, so running back, Gabby. So Miami signed uh, Jordan Lyle out of St. Thomas Aquinas and Chris Wheatley Humphrey here out of South Broward locally. Uh, of course, they had Kevin Riley committed for a majority of the the last, what, six, seven months of the cycle. Yep. Uh, didn't go Miami's way at the end there. Um, but anyways, running back, what do you want to say about this group? Yeah, I think we should probably start with Kevin Riley. And and just because I think there's a lot of just, I don't know, I, I just think it's, an, I think Miami, first of all, just getting that done in the summer was, was very telling. So just the first time I heard Kevin Riley's just name come up in general, I think it was like on the it might have been on the sidelines of an American Heritage playoff game. I forgot who they're playing against. It might have been Jacksonville Bulls. Um, not this past season, obviously the season before that. And just chatting up Kevin Smith, the Miami's former former running back coach, on the sideline, and he was just talking about how he loves Alabama running backs. He's like running backs from. We were talking about Quinshawn Judkins, who was just fresh off of a massive uh, freshman season at Ole Miss and talking to him about getting Quinshawn and how, and all that stuff. And he was just talking about how like running backs from the state of Alabama is just like what he wants to do. And he was talking about, and he was like the next one I want, like the next one up in Alabama is Kevin Riley. Like we're going to go get him. And I was just like, okay, like you're like Miami's not going to go into Alabama and get Kevin Riley, who at the time, again, top five running back in the country. He was very, he's been very highly ranked. And, um, you know, so very early on, Kevin Riley's name kind of emerged on my radar, and I just kind of viewed it as a long shot just because of where he was located, Tuscaloosa County, um, all that type of stuff. And, uh, you know, as they continued working through the course of the cycle, I think the first time he visited was for the spring game. He came down and I was like, OK, got him down like that's big, all that type of stuff. He didn't take a ton of visits. And then. Uh, you know, coming out of that visit, they felt really, really good about where they were at. And then, you know, again, only official visit he took in the summer. He committed on the visit. I'm pretty sure that his commitment resulted in some recruiting staffers jumping into the pool or something like into Mario Cristobal's pool that Saturday night um, during that official visit. Um, but that that was just a huge win. And then of, of and I think at the time, right, like when that visit was wrapping up, I mean, the the first thing that that the first response to me kind of talking about Kevin Riley and all that stuff with these, with, you know, people that are obviously involved in all that stuff was just like, we're going to have to hold on to this. Like we're going to spend the next six months fighting off Alabama yeah. and Auburn. And like, that was like, it wasn't even like excitement. Like it was obviously they, they wanted to get that done, but they, they knew what was coming for that. Like they knew what was ahead of them in that recruitment. They knew what was to come. And I think really what happened at the finish line was everything that they knew was possible kind of just happening, right? Alabama in the 11th hour, just deciding, Hey, you know what? Like we're ready. Let's do this. And let's, and, and, and he, Alabama missing on some of their, yeah, targets. Alabama, it did. And it did take Alabama missing on some of their targets as well. And and for them to kind of just come back around to Kevin Riley and just be like, Hey man, like kind of, we got a spot or whatever the case is. I got, I don't know exactly yeah. how that goes, but whatever the situation was that resulted in them just 
pivoting back to Kevin Riley at the very end of the process. And that just, just being an open door because of the nature of that circumstance and where he's at um, was everything that Miami kind of feared. And again, not, there wasn't, there's just nothing you could do about that. Like for Miami, they knew that that was something that they would have, that that could potentially happen. And of course it did, which is unfortunate, but I think Miami did like just Miami being as involved in that recruitment as they were um, and having that, getting that done, I think in the summer just shows again, that kind of like recruiting prowess, like the kind of flexing of that, because um, I don't know if anyone really thought that Kevin Riley was close to the end of his process when he did commit. I think it did take like some national people by surprise that he shut that thing down. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's my that's my Kevin Riley rant. Um, just go, moving on to Jordan Lyle, who they obviously signed. Um, I think this is a pretty fascinating uh, recruitment and just just the way it played out. Right. Because another one who was at Miami spring game and just I remember hearing around that time, like just. Miami liked him, didn't love him. Like, I think that they were kind of just like on the fence. They had brought him into campus, but I don't know how, like, I I don't know how in love they were with, with Jordan Lyle. And I think the tone really changed like late summer, early fall. And by the way, going back to Kevin Riley, he had one of the most impressive, sorry, one of the most impressive summer workouts that I've seen from a running back. Like, I think just watching him during that July workout session, David, um was just was just like wow like he he is a like he's exactly he's what, they were what they're missing in right that running back and i think after that july workout like every like that building was just absolutely buzzing and this was the work like camp in the morning pool party in the afternoon um like that building was just buzzing 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 about kevin riley like everyone was just fast it was just mesmerized by kevin riley and everything that he did during that session and just how much he really separated himself. I think it just confirmed to them that they had what they believed that they had. So sorry to backtrack to that, but I wanted to make sure I I, I mentioned that. Um, so Jordan Lyle, and I think it really started to kind of change, you know, go, going into the early fall where they kind of turned things up. I do think before they kind of went back to Jordan Lyle, I do think they really tried to kind of make something happen with Chauncey Bowens, the the Palm Beach Benjamin running back who signed with Georgia, was committed to Florida at one point, uh, but that just didn't work out. I mean, he was headed, you know, he was going to go to one of those two SEC schools. And then Jordan Lyle coming together, I think, was just a late, I mean, not super late, but, uh, you know, a, a end of the summer, early fall push from Miami to really go get Jordan Lyle. And I do think a lot of his senior stuff really elevated the way that Miami kind of viewed him as a running back. So I think that Who do you rate similar. higher between Bowens and Lyle? I would probably go Lyle. I, yeah, I was never, I like I was, I was never the biggest chance. Uh, I am missing see, some burst to me. Definitely. Obviously Georgia burst. knows what they're doing. At Georgia, running back, but a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I, I think you, you don't ever like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go. I mean, whatever George is evaluating is significantly better than whatever I'm capable of doing, but I just would like, and I've watched, we've watched Bowens for a long time. Right. Like I think yeah. during that, that, well, that first ever recruiting event post COVID that July 1st or whatever it was during the Manny Diaz area, like Chauncey Bowens was there at that. Like we've known about Chauncey Bowens for a long time, but he's always been just kind of like a bigger stockier back who definitely had like that straight line speed. But it just, to me, like I watched him play against Gulliver. Um, I mean, this was October. Yeah. This was October, 2022. Cause it was right before the baby was born. Um, and I was just like, there's just something that just doesn't, work for me like it just there's something that's just not there I don't think he has that like like you're talking about kind of like that burst like that quick step it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like the the straight line 100 meter time matched with like the speed that he plays at and that could be developed and look and honestly if I'm Georgia like he he is a big he is a big strong dude and yeah. if I need him and like as like a short yardage guy that you know he has some juice because he does have that speed with him like I'm rolling the dice on that but I don't know if that's particularly what Miami needs at the moment like I think Miami needed some juice right that's what Kevin Riley has and I think Jordan Lyle has some of that too like I definitely think Jordan Lyle has a lot of that and his senior stuff was extremely impressive and Jordan Lyle was obviously on the radar to an extent prior to that but his senior year I think he really just elevated his, yeah, his game to, to a new level and um and yeah look I think at the end of the day like the the prize was to find a way to pair Kevin Riley and Jordan Lyle, I think that would have just been the dream scenario. 
which I think if you follow the day-to-day recruiting of Miami, I think you could kind of piece together that that was the hope at the end of the cycle. And if they did get that done, I'm not sure what that would have looked like for a guy like Chris Wheatley Humphrey or what that situation would have looked like. Maybe they would have taken right. three. Numbers would have been tight. Numbers would have been really, really tight. So I that would have been a, an interesting situation to kind of to kind of watch there. All right, wide receiver. So Miami signed three talented wide receivers in JoJo Trader, Nykar, Chance Robinson. I don't know if you want to start there, Gabby, or if you want to start with Jeremiah Smith. Obviously, Miami was chopping wood there. The whole cycle uh, came up just short in the end. Uh, Jeremiah's been pretty open about it here. Uh, at the All-Star Games and whatnot after signing day. But I don't know which direction you want to take this in here at wide receiver. Yeah, let's start with Jeremiah. Just go, and again, I think at this point it's pretty well like reported that Miami was what came in second there. Um, you know, and I, I just like I feel like just for me, it was just and I'm I'm not saying this to knock anyone, like I'm really not trying to do that, but I just feel like Miami just pub like uh, the perception that Miami was never really in this recruitment to me was always kind of like silly because it was just like, like I think he was just on campus so much more than we know. And I think because we're quote unquote following the visits, we thought that Florida state had gone him on, t- on campus more or whoever or Florida had gone him on campus more. But like, I remember being on campus, this was late October and I'm just sitting outside waiting out like a Mar- like Markel Bell to finish his visit. I think this is like a Friday where they're off of school for whatever reason. So guys like Chris Ewald were there. Xavier Lucas was there that day. And I remember just sitting outside waiting for Markel Bell during his first visit. And Jeremiah Smith just walks out the door with Kevin Beard, his mom, his dad. And they just like, and, and, and to me, it's just like, you know, if, if Jeremiah Smith was, and of course he walks out, it's like, please don't say yeah, that we're he's asked here. To not we're asked to, that. we're asked to not report that he's there. And to me, it's just like, okay, if this happened here on a random Friday, like how many other times has this happened? And yeah. I, I, I believe it was a few, again, I'm not going to say he was sure. there every week or whatever, but my understanding is that Jeremiah Smith was there plenty. He was there. It, it was just never it was never publicized. So no right. one was just like, Hey, Jeremiah has been to Miami four times over the last two and a half months or whatever the case is. So I think that that kind of gave the perception that Miami maybe was it because the way it looks like on the outside, he visited for the Georgia tech game. And then that was it. Like it's as if he was never around again. And that just simply wasn't true. So, um, you know, again, I think Miami did a, honestly, I think Miami did as much as they could have possibly done in that recruitment. And we know now that at the end of the day, it was an Ohio State hat, it was a Miami hat. And I think it really did kind of come to that last minute of just like kind of that gut decision of what what am I going to do? And I think at the end of the day, he grabbed the Ohio State hat and that's what he went with. But I think even that morning, um, like there was some confidence coming out of Miami, like right, I would say probably like the 30 minutes before he was about to announce. I do think that there was a time where Miami thought that they could have possibly gotten. We it. had it ready to go. We had, we the had everything ready, ready to go. go. We had an article ready to go. We had an edit ready to go. We had everything ready to go. We had, we, we were fully prepared for Jeremiah Smith to commit. to. Miami. I was told too. And I, you know, I, I haven't seen this with my own eyes, but someone who would know told me that, Jeremiah asked Hayes Fawcett, who does all these uh, commitment edits for the young men, to make him a Miami Flip commit uh, edit, edit for yeah. that day. So I do. It was right there, and uh, it was very, very close. You know, at the end of the day, he stuck with with his long term commitment, and uh, in some ways, I respect that. Obviously, would have liked for him to pick Miami personally, but. Uh, he stuck with the school that he had been committed to for almost a year. So might have yeah, given it a good shot. For sure. For sure. And then just moving on from Jeremiah Smith to Josiah Trader. I do think, and I know uh, Zach Blaustein at those two, four, seven wrote this, or I think he wrote this already, but I mean, I, I do think that Jojo Trader was silently committed to Florida state at one point. And I think, the, uh, and if you go back to when Jojo Trader committed to Miami, it was very, very like random and, Yep. you know, hush hushed. And it was like, it was one, it was probably one of the more secretive kind of commitments. I would say probably yep. outside, outside of Justin Scott, I would say of this entire cycle was, was Jojo trader. Um, yeah. It just popped be- up on us in one day. Right. It like was just, very quickly. Yeah. It was hey, like, an ready for this. yes. Yeah. And it, and it was even like, 
yeah, it, it was it was very, very fast. And it was very high pressure of just like you this better not get out before it happens right. because oh so it was it was just very tense. I remember being like, okay, like got it. Like it's not nothing's gonna happen. But I think the reason behind that was because he was actually like again, he I think he had given Florida State an indication that he was coming. So whether you want to call that silent commit or heavy lean or whatever you want to yeah. do with that. I, I mean, mean it happens. Silent commits yeah. happen. And yeah. Don't follow through. Happened yeah, in Miami exactly. this cycle. Definitely did happen in Miami cycle. We'll talk about that later. Um yeah, so Miami, I think, did flip him from, or I mean, again, whatever you want to call it there. But I, I do think JoJo Trader was uh, silently committed to Florida State before he flipped to Miami. So Miami really backdoored, uh, you know, really that recruitment and found a way to kind of deliver that blow to to Florida State. Um, I, Let's go to Nykar, another commit. And I mean, Nykar to me, like the way I kind of personally view it, like Nykar was committed before he ever kind of stepped foot on campus, right? I think when yeah. he, I think he visited for, I believe it was the Georgia Tech game. And to me, that was just like formality of just like, hey, come check it right. out. Like, let's kind of just get this thing formalized or whatever. But I, at that point, like when this Nykar stuff kind of started getting pieced together, like it was done already. And it if was you just commit a, after that Georgia Tech game, you're already yeah, committed. You're Yeah, you were already committed. So Nykar, before he visited for to Miami for that Georgia Tech game, he was already committed basically to Miami. Um so I, I I and I think that one thing I do want to give Miami credit for is just kind of like I think they did a good job of kind of feeling out the situation because I think it was kind of late summer where he kind of started to look around a little bit. And I think Miami jumped in at a good time because I think just internally with Nikar he kind of had started to have some concerns just about the receivers because Georgia's a fantastic program obviously and they produce a ton of players but i think he was just having you know some concerns about whether georgia produces wide receivers for the nfl and i think miami did a good job of getting in there at the right time and and kind of showing him an off showcasing an offense where he could be productive and do what he wants to do at the college level and i think they just did a good job of getting into that recruitment and and look auburn wanted him and florida state wanted him and others you know were, were kind of involved in that one too so i think miami did a good job there um another Miami commit. Let's talk about Chance Robinson. And this is like one that went like really just back and forth, right? Like I know when Kevin Beard got hired, Chance Robinson was around. Like it felt like every spring practice he was there, right? Like Chance Robinson was just always there. He committed after he committed at the spring game right after it finished. That was like the first like kind of bang in the, in the 2024 recruiting class. He was the first like blue chip recruit to jump on board. And there was obviously a bunch of up and down. I think I, I think with Florida at one point during the summer, he officially visited Florida, officially visited Penn State, and like just from my perspective, like at not like not at, at no point did my Miami ever feel like they were going to lose him. And I think there was obviously just a lot of stuff out there, uh, especially during the summer with Florida. Miami always felt pretty good about where they were kind of at in that one, so I never really felt like Chance Robinson wasn't going to sign with Miami. Um, and then in the you go into the fall and it became Ohio State and Ole Miss. He took it to visit Ole Miss. He took a visit to Ohio State. But even after that Ohio State visit, like Miami still felt like he was going to kind of stick around. So, um, you know, again, on my end, there was never a point where I was like, oh, Miami's going to miss out on Chance Robinson or Chance Robinson's going to flip. Like I knew he was obviously going through his process and that wasn't ideal. But just from my perspective, I truly never really had a ton of concerns about what Chance Robinson's going to do. Um, just going into a couple targets that they kind of went off went after over the course of the cycle. Um, Ryan Wingo, the five-star wide receiver out of St. Louis, he signed with Texas. Uh, I do think that there was a point in the spring where if Ryan Wingo went through the entirety of his process at that point, I think he was, he was kind of planning out as if he was going to announce in December. And I do think at some point during the late spring, maybe early summerish, I think it was more late spring. I think he did tell Miami or like, you know, like, kind of soft lock in uh, an official visit with Miami in December. I think it was the second to last uh, weekend. And I think the last weekend was originally going to go to Missouri. Um, Like the final weekend before signing day was going to go to Missouri. And the one before that Miami was going to get. So that's why they kind of like late spring, early summer, I thought that there was a chance or or a path for Miami to potentially get Wingo. Cause I thought that if he did play out the process, which he didn't, he ended up kind of committing this fall to Texas and followed through with that. Um, and Missouri was the one that was really in there that some thought he was going to stay home and go to Missouri. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, that was kind of my perspective of the Ryan Wingo thing. Uh, during the summer, Ja'Cory Barney, the Miami Palmetto athlete impressed during a seven on seven camp. 
uh, with his school an early seven on seven tournament. I think the first one that the school had Miami kind of t- turned the dial up on him and, and tried to get him in the class. He took a late, I think it was the last weekend of the summer. Um, he took an official visit to Miami where he basically like, again, gave him a like he basically told him, Hey coach, like, you know, I'm in, like I'm coming. He told me like when I talked to him after the visit, like, yeah, like, you know, I'm going to announce on this day. And then when it came down to it, um, he ended up kind of following through with Nebraska, which is a school that he was originally going to go to before Miami had kind of turned it all up. But I do think he had given Miami some sort of indication that he was coming. He did not And truthfully, I think that was Ja'Cory Barney's only window to pick Miami. And I think from that point on, it was kind of dead. Like, I don't think, Miami ever really truly explored that again uh just because and I honestly I think it kind of was best for for both parties it it was best for both parties because I think Miami was better off basically like we're talking about uh, Ja'Cory Barney they then had to go get Jojo right they had to go get Jojo and they went to go get Nykar so I think both of those are better than Barney so I think that was kind of like a blessing sort of in disguise Barney's a better fit for Nebraska definitely you know that's a better option for him yeah yeah um another target uh there was a there was a weekend in the spring i can't remember which weekend it was exactly but there was a bunch of guys i think david stone ended up visiting uh jared gibson visited there was a couple like random uh kind of not secret visitors but guess guys they didn't really want me to report on until they were actually there i think that was the weekend like jalen crawford who's a quarterback assigned with auburn he visited um so miami almost got nitro tuggle who was a georgia he signed, he signs with Georgia. He was going to play his senior season at IMG Academy, but ended up staying back home. I think in Indiana is where he's from. Like he ended up staying home, but Nitro Tuggle was like on the, was like on the visitors list of players who were supposed to come. And I, I had again, story written waiting for him to actually show up and arrive that Nitro Tuggle was going to visit Miami. And Miami really tried to get into uh, that one, especially when he was kind of going through the, process of making the transition to img and then it kind of just didn't come together that weekend and then it kind of i honestly just never really heard his name again uh tj moore the out of tampa out of tampa catholic i think that he signed with clemson he had a i think he was you he had a really really good all-american bowl in san antonio uh last week miami just tried so hard with him like i think miami tried so insanely hard with tj moore and they just ne- i feel like they just never really got any traction uh, so that's nothing like really juicy or anything like he's that. He's more of a with. Clemson personality, but he is I, a talented guy. He's I mean. a talented, he is definitely a talented guy, but it was just like, I feel like for all the guys that they like genuinely, like really, really tried to get, like, I feel like there was, act, there was some sort of momentum at some point. Like, I feel like they tried with TJ Moore and just, it just never really materialized into anything. Yeah. Um, Jure Hawkins out of IMG Academy, a guy kind of, I always got kind of mixed reviews on. Um, you know, just kind of talking to different people, kind of valued him a different way. He visited Fast, during the season. Can't catch, really. Yeah, and I, I just think that, like, he visited during the season, and I don't think that that was like a Miami trying to flip him from Florida thing. I think a bunch of those IMG Academy guys just visited, and he just visited with them. Um, I think Luane McCoy is an interesting one to touch on too. I think that's one we should probably touch on. Uh, so when Kevin Beard came to Miami, obviously, uh, you know, I think that there was some catching up to do with Luane McCoy. And I think Kevin Beard and and those guys like, you know, were, were started recruiting him. He had been around the school a little bit. Uh, I think he had been around the school. Like he started kind of coming around pretty often. And I think he kind of gave him an indication. He like they I think Luane kind of gave Miami like a, like said, like, oh hey, you know, I'm yeah, you know, let's build this relationship up. Like I'll give you guys a chance to kind of make up some ground. Like obviously Florida State had been doing a good job. And then he like goes up to Tallahassee on an unofficial visit, like no one really around him. And he commits to Florida State. And I think just him going and doing that and kind and Miami was just, I think some people were just like, wait, you just told us you were going to give us like an opportunity to kind of, you know, mend things or just kind of do all that stuff. And I think that, I think at the end of the day, that kind of just maybe rubbed some people the wrong way that he just like went up and randomly committed to Florida State when they were trying to like build a legit relationship and stuff like that. And I think that that was just kind of a big part of why my and again, I think it, I think it worked out for Miami. Um, but I think because that that was always one that people were were always so interested in was Luane McCoy, obviously because he's a local guy. Um, but yeah, I think that that was a big part of just what happened there. This just it was kind of just a I don't know feeling of maybe being slighted versus like kind of having better options and also just 
um you know just that feeling of just like okay you kind of just did that like that was random and you had just told us that you were going to give us an opportunity to recruit you so yeah that was that's i think that's probably the end of my wide receiver yeah it's a good wide receiver class and uh now it's just time to stack more wide receiver classes that look like this uh, in future years. So- when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. The tight end, Gabby Miami signed Elijah Lofton out of uh, Las Vegas, Bishop Gorman. More of an H-back type tight end, but to me is an intriguing piece to the offense with his skill set. Um, but Miami did want to sign maybe two tight ends. They just couldn't find that right. other guy to pair with him. Where do you want to start with tight end? Yeah, let, let's go over Elijah Lofton just because... First of all, I think that was a really big recruiting win for Miami. And just, I think internally, I think it's worth mentioning how high of a grade they kind of have on him. Like, you know, they're not using the, I don't know if they're necessarily using the 247 rankings to rank their own players. Like they have their own system of how they do it. And Elijah Lofton was like, it does have a very, very high grade from the people from my, like from the people at Miami. So that was a good win. I just think, oh, I mean, during the summer, they got, Elijah Lofton canceled a Texas visit before, and then they got him to commit. And then during the fall, of course, there was a noise about whether he was going to visit Texas. And I don't think that happened, but I think that it was trying, I think he was trying to do it maybe secretly or quietly. One school I do think that Elijah Lofton, that I have it on pretty good authority that he did visit quietly during the season was Washington. Um, I do, I'm again, I'm pretty sure, like, I, I, I'm, like 95% sure that he went up to Washington for the Washington Oregon game. That was the same weekend that Miami was at UNC. And again, one of those secret visit deal type of things. And uh, again, so there was a point where I was concerned that Elijah Lofton was going to flip to Washington. And then the, the Texas stuff was very, very real, but um, I think Miami smoothed that all over. Um, you know, I think that they did a good job of communicating during that time. And I think them being able to squash all that was, was pretty big. But uh, I do think that Elijah Lofton did check out Washington at one point. And obviously, considering the way that that season played out for the Huskies, uh, that was a, a, dull, a bullet dodged for the Hurricanes because that's obviously a very, very exciting offense. Um, that being said, let's go into let's get into some of the tight end two uh, options that this Miami is... kind of. Yeah, some of the misses. Um, I mean, it was a good tight end class nationally. It, There's yeah, a lot it was. of options. It just didn't fall Miami's way. Yeah, it just didn't fall Miami's way. Um, let's start with Caleb Odom. Uh, I mean, I think early on against spring, I really thought that there was – I really thought at one point that Caleb Odom was going to go to Miami. Uh, I talked to him at that OT7 Orlando tournament, and it did – like Miami was the only summer official visit he had locked in. I think he had already been to Miami twice at that point. Like, I do think that – I did think that at one point that Caleb Odom was going to go to Miami. And I think I think Miami was the leader for Caleb Odom at one point. But I think some schools started kind of selling him on being, like, a bigger wide receiver. And I think that's kind of more of what he wanted to hear, which is why he kind of started to hear Ole Miss kind of start to emerge. I think Auburn maybe kind of pre- talked about him being a bigger wide receiver. I think he wanted to hear more of that rather than being a lot – like, you know, kind of tight end – a uh, guy who's gonna have to block a little bit more or do things like that. Obviously, he's more of a flexi tight end at six foot five, two hundred five ish, two hundred ten pounds, uh, natural pass catcher. Uh, but yeah, I do think at one point that there was a time where I thought Caleb Odom was gonna kind of come to Miami. Uh, weird situation that kind of came up again. It kind of came and went. It wasn't really like that big of a deal, but. I think it kind of blew up in my face a little bit. Uh, the Walter Matthews out of Hiram, Georgia. 
uh, he, like, you know, I reported that he was supposed to visit Miami and he was going to visit Miami. Like plane tickets were already set, were already bought, uh, all that stuff. And then, you know, he kind of said that he wasn't visiting Miami. Uh, but again, I was under the impression that they were kind of leaving in like that next morning. Like, again, it was all set up. The family had been communicating with Miami for a few weeks at that point. And then at the last second, they just kind of backed off and that didn't come together. So Walter Matthews was a, re a weirdly random uh, pocket of Miami's tight end recruiting that just didn't necessarily go super well. He, I think he ended up committing to USC shortly after that. Um, but yeah, that was a weird situation. Um, I do think that to an extent, Miami did kind of kick the tires on Landon Thomas uh, while they were kind of going through the NICAR recruitment. And truthfully, again, they go just, to the same school. They go to the same school. Yeah, they both go to Coquit County that in Moultrie, Georgia. Like they both play at the same school. So Miami, I think, was, I think, having some like kind of feeling it out a little bit. But, you know, kind of going back to the grade that they had. And again, they already had Elijah Lofton on the boat at this time. But I do think that they liked, I feel like, I don't know if they're like similar type of play, players, but. Um, I do think they felt like they had, oh, well, they had a higher grade on Elijah Lofton than they had on Landon Thomas and not saying they would have flipped Landon Thomas anyways, but I just think, don't think that they felt the need to go there when they already had Elijah Lofton, like Landon Thomas, I don't think is more of like the more inline tight end that they're kind of looking for, but I do think that they explored it to some, to some extent, um, uh, Hogan Hansen who signed with Michigan, He's a tight end that Miami hosted in the spring. And I do think Miami tried to kind of re like kind of like, I don't know, spark that interest again. Like I do think they reached out in the fall just to kind of feel that whole thing out to see if there was another path to getting him in. And I think he kind of said like, I'm good with Michigan, but if anything changes, I will let you know, like something kind of like that. So that didn't really work out. Uh, one that was really close to falling Miami's way is Devon Mitchell out of Los Alamitos, California. He was 2025. He reclassed as 2024. And there was the back and forth in the summer of like which way, which way he was going to go, whether that was going to be Oklahoma or Miami. He ended up going to Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, I talked to him at the Under Armour All-American game and he basically said like on paper, you know, on paper, like Miami has Riley Williams, uh, Elijah Arroyo, Arroyo coming back. I think at that point they already had Elijah Lofton on board. And, um, you know, he said that he just like Oklahoma, like the path to playing time at Oklahoma was a lot clearer than the playing time at Miami. Cause he told me at the Under Armour All-American, he's like, Miami has a very good tight end room. Like Oklahoma's tight end room is not as good as Miami's. So I felt like he was like, I felt like I could go, I could make an impact sooner at Oklahoma than I could have at Miami. So I do think in a way, like, you know, Miami, Again, obviously, I know people talk about how like the lack of tight end usage, uh, you know, this past season. But I do think on paper, like if you're a tight end recruit, you are looking at yeah. Miami's tight end room and seeing, oh, they play a true freshman tight end a lot. If they're playing a true freshman tight end a lot, what does that look like for me coming in right behind him? So I think that that was a, a part of the situation that played against Miami when it came to Devon Mitchell. But I think them even making it that close was kind of interesting because he was an OU like lock for a lot, a lot of that process. So Miami making it that tight, I think was interesting. Uh, a couple other names that kind of popped up at tight end uh, during the cycle, Tavion Galloway and KJ Duff were a couple popular names. First off, I don't think KJ Duff even was considered a tight end by Miami. I think he was more considered a wide receiver and I just don't think that that was a situation that was going to happen. Uh, Tavion Galloway, uh, you know, he visited for Miami for a game this year, but I just think he was like, you know, a uh, just a different, he was just on a different tier than what they were looking for. And then at the end of the, at the end of the cycle, really maybe the tight end that they maybe wanted most, you know, I think would I would say probably the last month or so, maybe a little bit more than that of the cycle was Benjamin Blackburn out of Miami Columbus. Uh, you know, he's again, local guy who I think they really kind of turned the temperature on late just because he was having such a good senior season at, at Columbus. He had been kind of banged up a little bit earlier in his career, but um, you know, he's committed to, he was committed to Boston college. He flipped to Stanford. And then I just think it was kind of late in the game for Miami to kind of get involved. And I think he, I think they tried, you know, they went in home with him a few times from what I understand. And um they didn't officially visit him at the end because I think at that point he'd already relayed to them. He was going to, he was going to stay with Stanford, but I think that he had to kind of juggle with that about what, what he wanted to do. And I think just think he ended up following through with Stanford, which again, I think that that was probably 
uh, the best decision for uh, Benji Blackburn, just because I think that that's a, I think that was just a better overall situation for him. All right. And let's go to the offensive line. Uh, Miami signed on paper, the best offensive line class of the 2023 cycle, but it's important to stack talent on top of that class here in this recent 2024 class. Definitely a class full of bigger bodied players. Um, and Miami definitely land some talent and uh, kick the tires on some guys that they didn't end up landing, but are also big time talents. So I don't know where you want to take this first, Gabby. Yeah, I think I think it's important to cap to I think start off just like I think going into the 2024 cycle. Like, I don't think Miami particularly loved the 2024 offensive line class. And not to say that they didn't like, you know, players individually, but I just think as a whole, they just didn't love the 2024 class the way that they liked maybe the 2023 class or the 2025 class. Like, I think of those three classes, I think the 2024 class would be third between 2023, 2025, and 2024. Um, So I, I think that was a part of the reason why it was so important to them to hit in 2023 with both Samson and Francis because they weren't really sure about what the top of that offensive tackle 2024 class kind of looked like. And I think, truthfully, it kind of played out that way a little bit. And having seen a lot of these guys, I, I think that that was a, definitely a fair evaluation by them. Um, let's start with – I think I'm gonna, I, I want to start with Markel Bell just because I think it's – I don't know if people realize how unusual it is that Markel Bell is yeah. going to Miami uh, just because – Not an SCC school. Like it's and, yeah, and not like I'm not, not even necessarily like not Mississippi State or Ole Miss. Like right, I, right. I I don't think people like again. Maybe I'm not sure if the average person realizes like how much of a feeder to those two programs specifically that that Mississippi Junior College League kind of is as far as like the top end talent that comes out of it. Like Mississippi, right. like Ole Miss and Mississippi State, like like most schools have the transfer portal and high school recruiting, and then like in Mississippi, it's like transfer portal, high school recruiting, and junior college recruiting. Because that's such a it's such a it's such a dense junior college state uh, that Mississippi league and so for Markel Bell to go to Miami again not the SEC and to leave Mississippi is is kind of a big deal and I think it's important to like detail I guess why and again I just wanted to emphasize how rare that situation is and how big of a win that is for Miami. Um, I, I think ultimately it's just about relationships. The offensive line coach at uh, the junior college that Markel played at, I think it's Holmes Community College, has really tight, tight. And I think we talked about this when he committed, but he he is like really tight with um, with Dennis Smith, who runs Miami's recruiting department, uh, Cody Woodle, the tight ends coach, who's a Mississippi native. Uh, both the, I think all three of those guys coached together at, I think it was like East Mississippi Community College years and years and years ago. And um, they're all they're they're all very very close, specifically Woodle and the the offensive line coach at Holmes. So I think because Miami had those relationships at Holmes, they were able to really get into that Markel Bell recruitment and then follow through with it, right? Like, and I think even landing that commitment when they did, I think is also kind of because again he could have gone through the process and who knows what it would have happened at the end. But for Miami to get him on board not long after he took that unofficial visit in October, I think is is a really really big deal, uh, just because. I think Mississippi State was kind of expecting him. Like I, I, I remember reading through some of the Mississippi State stuff after he committed, and it was just like, oh whoa, like what in the world just yeah. happened here? Uh, just because again, that's a guy that's like their bread and butter. Like Mississippi State might have been expecting him to be their right tackle or whatever their left tackle next year. Um, so I'm I very think, curious about him as a player. He might sure. be the one I'm most curious about for sure in this class. And you know, look again, we talked about Francis and Sampson in that 23 class, Markel's the number one junior college offensive lineman and yeah. offensive or Juco rankings and evaluations and projections are kind of hit and miss. It's very hard to project junior college players, but I am very curious about what he looks like in spring ball. And uh, he's a massive dude. Like everyone who comes he's, across him, it's is just like, he's the biggest human being I've ever been around. <laughs> He's just he's he's so so large, I'm, and he carries I, it well. Like it's not well. He's reshaped yeah. his body a lot too. Like I yeah. think coming out of high school, I think he was big, like like overly large, and he's spent a lot of time reshaping his body, which I think is is big. And I think 
what Miami asks their offensive line to do just as far as like, you know, moving around and stuff like that. Like, I'm curious how he's going to be able to do some of those things and really just how he kind of fits into what they kind of do here. I think he's going to be fine. I don't know what his like direct path to, to playing time is, but it would be interesting. There's an opportunity. I yeah, mean, it, on paper, there's four, four spots are spoken for, right? Four yeah. starters. I don't know where exactly those starters line up. And there's one spot open, and I think yeah. he's amongst, what, four or five guys mm-hmm. that are legitimately in that battle for that Definitely. fifth spot. And they want to put the five best. So yeah. they will find if, – if, if he's good, they're going to find a spot for him. Yes. Where else do you want to go on yeah. the other line? Yeah, let's talk about KV on Broussard because I think that that was just obviously a, another interesting situation, just how Ole Miss kind of emerged at the end. So Miami takes KV on Broussard's side unseen, right? Like they had never – they never visit. They hadn't visited him. I don't think they had watched his. I don't think they saw him during the spring in person. Uh, they didn't just work tape. him out in the summer. Just literally, just tape. And they they took him sight and scene. And I I think, and I don't I, I don't know. I feel like this is obviously like a little bit, like, I just think that when they took him, all right. So people at his program were very high on him. Like they believed he was a big time tackle. Um. And I think when Miami took him, they were some, and again, these things are never guaranteed or anything like that, but I think that they had assured Miami to some extent, like, Hey, if you guys take him, like we promise you, you're going to get him. Cause this fall people are going to try to come get him. Cause he's going to blow up. And he, if you guys take him right now, I promise, like basically like, I promise you, you guys will make sure he goes to Miami. And so Miami took him just not because of that, but because they liked him and felt like they could do something with him and works, you know, his body type, all that stuff. And they felt like he was a high, a developmental tackle, like a promising developmental tackle, which was, which was exactly what they were looking for this cycle. And again, I think at the end when Ole Miss offered, I think he visited. And I, and just as this, when the Ole Miss crystal ball started rolling in, I think that, I don't know, I get the impression that Miami was kind of misled by his family as far as their interest and how legitimately they were kind of considering Ole Miss and that that crystal ball was super premature, that they hadn't even all that stuff. And then he, of course, ends up flipping over there. So I don't think that the people who assured Miami that he was going to go there, particularly like were responsible for this happening. But I do think that there was just some... At the end of the day, there was just some, I don't know about broken promises or anything like that, but it seemed like it's just were, the recruiting game. It's just yeah, the recruiting, it exactly. Yeah. Know? So that, that kind of sucked. And I know Miami wanted to sign him, but, and when I reported that Miami was moving on, I think it was because they kind of felt like they were being lied to by some people with yeah. Broussard and stuff like that. And they're like, all right, we're done. And I think that was more of a part of it. It's not because they didn't like him. Uh, moving on to just just some other news. Jordan Seaton, I think, became a top name. I think he he finished the cycle as a five star offensive tackle. But he was supposed to visit Miami for that July barbecue and uh, pool party. Uh, he, I think, IMG ends up having a mandatory practice, so he wasn't able to get down. And I don't know if that was like the reason why Miami was never ever really able to get involved there. I know that they tried. But I think the fact that they weren't able to get him down to campus there, I think just kind of made it difficult for Miami to be kind of the contender that they wanted to be in that recruitment. Um, But yeah, I think if he would have gone down for the barbecue, I think Miami would have probably had more of a presence in that recruitment. I know that they definitely tried. Uh, Nair Daniels was a name that they liked early in the process. They brought him in for a spring visit, just went to go see him at some point, I think in the spring and just like, crossed him off the list like just did not like him after a spring evaluation he ends up going to georgia you know he's a big big large body but again i thought like i just think fit wise it wasn't necessarily what miami's looking for i don't think they're looking for big bodies that like aren't really super athletic i think they're looking for athletic body type types of tackles and that he just wasn't what they were looking for i think a georgia commit that they did like a lot was marcus harrison out of Hamburg, New York. So he's another just massive body out of the Northeast that signed with Georgia that um, that they did like. A popular name early in the cycle is Mike Williams out of like the DMV area. I think he's from Maryland. He ended up signing with Florida, but at one point it looked like maybe he was going to be in Miami's class. And then I'm not exactly sure what happened, but the way it kind of 
was relayed to me at the time was that just some red flags started to pile up. And I don't know what those were particularly, but I think, uh, you know, that was the reason why Mike Williams had been to campus a few times. Like, I think it was like three or four times. And then, you know, it kind of all fizzled out. And I think that was kind of just why. Um, Joseph Ayanata is another interesting one. I think he was probably Miami's like top center target uh during over the course of the cycle and i i thought he i got close to like crystal balling him to miami a few times just because i thought that that was a situation that was going to all come together he goes and works out for alabama and the way it was kind of described to me was just like alabama was like hey if you're going to commit you kind of got to do it right now and he just did it and then that was kind of it for miami the miami didn't really have a chance to kind of have a say or to kind of come back to that it was kind of like if you want to play at alabama you have to jump on board right now and he was like okay and that's it. Miami had to move on. Uh, that being said, they signed Nino Francovia, uh, who, again, I think just internally they have a, a high grade on. Uh, I watched another one of their center targets uh, by the name of Kyle Altooner. He signed with West, West Virginia. He was at the All-American game and he was actually good. Like he was good at the All-American game. And I was kind of just checking in on him and just kind of what they thought about him. And, you know, compare just over the course of the cycle, because I know early, like, early February-ish last year, he was a name, he was amongst like a list of early offensive linemen names that they really coveted uh, A couple uh, amongst a few others. Like Jaquan McRoy was on that early list who uh, signed with Oregon, who's just a massive, massive human being. But uh, Kyle Altooner was on that too. And he's kind of like an interior lineman center type who was good. And they felt like Nino Francovia was a better center than Altooner was. And again, he was pretty impressive. Uh, Essentry Afua, uh, Papa Afua is a name that got, that was really popular around the Miami circles. And look, I think at the end of the day, this was just kind of like, you know, NIL type of situation. Miami wasn't really willing to go to the lengths that it probably would have taken to get him. And, uh, again, I think that's basically the beginning and the end of what the situation with Essentry Afua was. Um, Eddie Pierre-Louis is another one. Weird recruitment, very, very weird recruitment. Uh, Miami was going to officially visit him the last weekend, but I think it became clear that he wasn't going to kind of go there. Miami wanted him, but I think really the ult- ultimately the situation was is that he kind of wanted a clear path to playing time, and I just don't think that there was a clear path to him getting on the field as a freshman at Miami. And I don't know, maybe there is at Oklahoma. I'm not sure. I truthfully thought he was going to go to UCF. Like, I was just under the impression the kid was going to UCF. I'm not sure why he didn't go there or how he didn't end up there. He signed with Oklahoma after taking one visit, I think, in the summer and then committed to them and, like, just strange recruitment all around. And, um, yeah, that was basically all I know about that. I think one of the – again, I think this is another name that kind of got lost in the recruiting cycle, but that was Eddie Turk. Uh, He is – a guy that Miami viewed as a top, top, like I think he was one of the top interior linemen on Miami's board this cycle. Uh, he was out, I think he's out of the Illinois area. Uh, he was basically a two-way lineman, offensive lineman and defensive lineman. And basically he decided to go stay home at Illinois rather than play, and, and play defensive line at Illinois rather than come to Miami and potentially be like, an interior lineman or center. And and the same can be said about Riley Sunram, who ended up getting an All-American Bowl invite, who, again, I think he went to Minnesota. He decided to stay home and play for Minnesota on the defensive line rather than, again, you know, Miami liked him as an offensive lineman. So I think there was a couple of, like, two-way linemen that Miami liked that just decided to play on the defensive line, and that kind of X'd Miami out of the process. I think Liam Andrews, who signed with Penn State, is another one of those situations where Miami really recruited him. They got on him early, but he just decided he wanted to play defense and not offense the line. So uh, that kind of crossed him off there. And that brings us to the end of what I could think of on the offensive line backstories. Yeah, that's good stuff. So that completes the offensive side of the class on the backstories. Gabby, I'll tell you what. You're cooking, you're rolling. Let's make this a two-part podcast and we'll cut part one off here on the offensive side and we'll record the defensive side here. Maybe tomorrow if that works. Let's and, do it. Uh, and, you know, we can keep it rolling here going in-depth. But this does show how, look, these things, and there's even more names than this, but, like, you've probably brought, I don't know, 60 I'm just like I'm uh, just I feel I do feel like I'm just going right now. I didn't realize I'm like rambling. I'm just no, you're not. No, no, no. It's good. I'm just saying it. It shows you how it's a wide net and it just continues to narrow, 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 and you end up with your class. And 
Um, there's a lot of twists and turns that we can't even talk about on this type of podcast. So uh, let's cut it off here. And then uh, we'll, we will start with the, I think, the most interesting position. Oh, yeah. This class defensive line. That's going to be a fun one. And uh, anyways, we'll cut it off here. Offensive backstories. Appreciate Evan for listening. And uh, stay tuned for the defensive backstories. Take care.